This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This story contains references to suicide, substance abuse, and self-harm. If you need help, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day for free. Call 988 to reach a counselor at a locally operated crisis center. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Admission. Last spring, a former Stanford soccer captain was found dead in her on-campus residence. The star goalie of the Stanford University women's soccer team was a natural leader with a big personality. And it only goes up from here. Her name was Katie Meyer. She was the fourth Stanford student to take their own life in the span of 13 months. The others were medical student Rose Wong, engineering student Jacob Meisel, and law student Dylan Simmons. The string of tragedies has led students to question the university's mental health approach. The new school year began in September, and some Stanford students talked about their fear of returning to a campus that hadn't adequately addressed mental health concerns. They talked about trying to use Stanford's Counseling and Psychological Services, or CAPS, and not always being able to get the help they needed. I felt like I wasted so much time trying to get help that not trying to get help would have been better for me. That's Aiden McCracken, a student you'll hear more from in this episode. Reporter Melissa Newcomb is a recent graduate of the Stanford Masters of Journalism program. She and Chronicle reporter Danielle Echeverria, also a Stanford journalism grad, investigated the university's mental health resources. Check out their tech story. It's up now at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. Many students are unsatisfied, but as you'll hear, Stanford defends its approach. Here's reporter Melissa Newcomb. Samantha is an undergraduate at Stanford. I also was starting to be suicidal, like out of the blue, and that was confusing to me. I mean, that had, that is something I dealt with a lot before, so it wasn't new, but I just thought it was strange that it hit me all of a sudden. Samantha's not her real name. We're protecting her privacy. At the start of November, she tried to schedule a therapy session with CAPS, the university's counseling and psychological services. My mood was also just unstable, so sometimes I'd be pretty, like, impulsive and high energy, and other times I'd just be, like, really down the dumps. I do know I started to engage in some pretty destructive behaviors, I think, like, self-harm. I don't think I was necessarily drinking the most responsibly. She was put on the wait list. I was starting to engage in certain, like, suicidal acts, if that makes sense, kind of more... Things that I wasn't going 100% through with, but I was considering it a lot. So things were not good. Things were very bad. It would be three months before she began meeting with a therapist. And I didn't know what to do except for wait, and I wasn't doing well. I didn't feel supported by the university. I didn't feel that people necessarily took me seriously. I kind of was told on the phone, like, oh, like, we don't really have anyone here who does drug and alcohol stuff or anyone who's really trained in any type of trauma work, I can look at some stuff from you. I'll get back to you in a week. This is Aiden McCracken, a 19-year-old sophomore at Stanford. He has a history of mental health concerns and substance abuse. And I was like, okay, like, I, I didn't really expect that. 
And like a week goes by, like I never got a phone call back. Like I was kind of just like left in the air, which I was like, oh, like, you know, that's strange. Like I'm in this really bad place. And like, here's this service that's like here. And I like express what I need. And then I just don't really get any follow up. And so when somebody told you that they would follow up with you in a week, when you had first reached out to CAPS, that follow up never came. It just never happened. You're going to hear a lot of Aiden and Samantha in this episode but they are not isolated voices. The Stanford Daily regularly reports on student dissatisfaction with Stanford Mental Health Services, and student surveys have similar results. The Associated Students of Stanford University, or ASSU, conducted a survey that found that half of students did not find that CAP services were at least somewhat accessible. 42% of students who reached out to CAPS said they were not able to see a therapist quickly enough for their needs. CAPS offers five free therapy sessions to students, but as Samantha and Aiden experienced, it can take weeks of waiting before actually seeing a therapist. I've had hundreds of conversations with both my students who are undergraduates, but also my students who are graduate students and also my peers. Brianna Mullen was an undergraduate at Berkeley when she founded the UC Mental Health Coalition in 2013. Now she's a Stanford grad student and teaching assistant. I can't think of a single day that I don't have a conversation with somebody about their mental health. They feel really lost and they feel like there is very little support. Aiden's experience highlights why these long wait times create a dangerous situation for himself and other students seeking help. Because of the isolation that like navigating these services like heightened, like, you know, I relied even heavier on like, you know, substances and my addictive behaviors. And it just fed all of the issues that I was dealing with. You know, a service that's supposed to help did more damage and hurt and created more mistrust in like the service itself and the institution as a whole than did good for me. Aiden finally gave up on Stanford's system and temporarily withdrew from school to return home to rural Pennsylvania, where he says he was able to get the help he needed. But that wasn't his first choice. Stanford felt like a real like escape from um, this place that I've kind of learned to resent for so long. But going into a space like Stanford and realizing that like there just isn't the same level of attentiveness and care at Stanford that there is like like back home for me, which was so like felt so ironic to me. The CAPS Confidential Support Team runs an emergency 24-7 hotline. But even that can have wait times, despite the promise of immediate help. Here's Samantha. There was another time, I think, where I was in a crisis and called the CAPS, like, um, on-call, like, crisis line. And it kind of baffled me with how long the wait time was for the call. I don't know exactly how long it was on hold, like, maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. But that just makes me so upset, just in the way of how dangerous that could be just sitting there. One night in April, Samantha was having suicidal thoughts. Her friend, realizing she was in danger, sought help from the RD on call, the resident director. After the police came, Samantha would spend a week and a half in the hospital and two months in residential treatment. She wasn't able to complete her classes that quarter. I think the part that kind of scares me is just with this whole thing with the waitlist time is if my friend had called the like caps line instead of the RD on call. Like, I don't know how long she would have waited. And especially in a situation like that, that is so like, there was a lot of time spent debating or considering. And part of me wonders, like, 
in that kind of situation, if she had called the cast line and had a wait list, would I still be alive? And I just don't think that's something that is okay. (laughs) Samantha says that even when she displayed a high risk of suicide, it didn't prevent a long wait time. I specifically remember this one time where I was meeting with this CAPS therapist and before every session they would ask like what is your risk for suicide and I remember her asking me if I had a plan and I think I said yes I did which is pretty severe like from something you should probably take seriously and she did you know she she handled that but I just remember she ended the call with just being like okay my next availability is in two weeks so I was pretty much given like as a student who just really isn't safe. I just had to wait. Remember when Aiden spent months waiting for a call back from CAPS in the fall? Here's what happened when he returned to Stanford. When I called again in the spring, I, you know, did the consult. They were like, oh, have you used CAPS before? And I was like, yeah, I tried to like do a consult before. And like the person who did the consultation just never got back to me. And the other person on the end of the phone was like, oh, that was me. And then just like moved on. It just seems really irresponsible for a service like that. Many students we spoke to did say they had good experiences with the counselors. Their criticisms were mostly about wait times and the lack of services available. I spoke with Susie Brubaker-Cole about some of these issues. She's the vice provost for student affairs and oversees Stanford's mental health system. This is something that we have been engaged in for years When I came to Stanford, I heard from our students over and over again that this was one of the most pressing concerns and issues for them. And of course, I am aware and have been aware for years that this is a national issue that is not going to go away. The survey that I found particularly poignant was a 2019 survey that came out of the Centers for Disease Control that showed that one in three high school students and fully half of girls reported persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. Those are staggering numbers. And those are our students today. Brubaker Cole is right. The CDC found that since the pandemic, young adults are reporting disproportionately worse mental health outcomes, including increased substance use and elevated suicidal ideation. A week after soccer star Katie Meyer's death, Stanford promised action in a public written statement in March including that they had begun the process of hiring more permanent counselors and therapists. One of the things that we hear most about when we talk with people who are not right in the thick of this is, well, my God, you've got to hire more therapists. Okay, hiring therapists is important. It's critical as a first step. But there is so much more that we have to do, that we are doing, and that we're going to continue to do to address this crisis. It's been six months since those promises were made. Those additional counselors have not materialized, and a new school year is already underway. After months of repeated questions from the Chronicle, Stanford spokesperson Pat Lopez-Harris confirmed at the end of September that while the university received funding for four more counselors last spring, it has yet to hire any of them, and that the university is, quote, working to fill these positions amid, quote, strong demand nationwide for mental health therapists. In the meantime, Vice Provost Brubaker Cole says the university has added a new program called Wellbeing Coaching. She calls it non-formal clinical care that can help students work through issues that don't rise to the level of needing care by a licensed therapist. 
It's advertised to improve overall well-being and maximize personal potential. But if Stanford has been prioritizing mental health for the past five years, why do so many students find the current services lacking, and why was there a string of student suicides? The data showed a problem has been occurring, but was Stanford prepared? I'll talk to Brubaker Cole about that after a break. You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. After a string of student suicides last year, Stanford University's mental health services have been criticized by students. They say they've experienced long wait times for help, lack of expertise, and providers not taking things like suicidal ideation seriously enough. Here's reporter Melissa Newcomb. Susie Brubaker-Cole is Stanford's vice provost for student affairs. I asked her if she thought the university's mental health system had been adequately prepared for the 21-22 academic year in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. I think that we were well prepared because we had been working on our clinical care and our non-clinical mental health supports for a number of years prior to the pandemic. We conducted the Healthy Mind study in spring, and that was not the first time we have administered the Healthy Mind study. It is arguably the most comprehensive and highest quality uh, survey that we can administer to our students on issues of mental health and well-being. Uh, but we've administered it in the past as well, so it's interesting that we'll have comparative data. We're putting our students at the center of our planning in order to continue to refine and advance the work that we began you know, five years ago. The Healthy Mind Study is an annual national survey of college and university students about mental health. This year may not be the first year that Stanford has administered it, but according to the Healthy Minds Network website, it is the first time since 2017. The results of the new study, conducted in April, are not yet available because they're being evaluated by Stanford's internal analyst group. I asked Brubaker Cole about that delay, when the results from that tragic year would seem to be so vital. How are you like receiving feedback from students and making changes accordingly if you don't have that data back. I think that if this were the first time we were getting data on student mental health needs, I would feel uh, probably more aligned with the tenor of your question, Melissa, but, but I feel that we have been so in touch with our students' needs over time that we're not starting from scratch here. We're starting on a good five, six years of experience and, and input. And we speak with students very frequently, I have a student advisory board, we work with the ASSU student government, to hear from students about what they're seeing as the most critical mental health needs. There is some data available from the past academic year, and it calls into question how aligned the university really is with student needs. Remember that student union survey that found that half of students didn't find CAP services at least somewhat available in a timely manner? 
Brubaker Cole told me about a program called WPO. It's paid for by CAPS, and it's supposed to provide students with a non-emergency telehealth therapy session right at the time of their call. Do you know then, like, if that was a promise that was fulfilled, that under WPO, people who called were able to have one free session immediately? I don't have information on that. Okay. Is there a reason for that? Like, is that just something that I would need to be asking WPO for? Yeah, I personally, I'll just say, I personally don't have information about that. I'm sure someone knows that, but I don't know what it is, Melissa. Multiple requests to speak directly with a representative from CAPS were denied by Stanford Communications. I can say that uh, CAPS regularly surveys all students who access its services. And the satisfaction rate of students who see CAPS and who utilize the services there is above 90% satisfied with, this, with the services. And one of the questions that we ask is, were you able to access CAPS in a timely manner? And that response was also above 90% positive. So students who see CAPS are very satisfied with the services there. That means there is a drastic difference between two studies asking the same question. ASSU's surveys generally, and I don't know about this particular survey, but they generally do not have the rigor of design and uh, represent representative populations that that we like to see in our surveys at Stanford. And while it's good information that gives a broad indication, um, I I would be cautious about making assumptions on that survey unless you know more about what the actual parameters of the survey are. It's worth noting that in this study, CAPS partnered with the ASSU. As a follow-up, Chronicle reporter Danielle Echeverria and I asked Brubaker, Cole, and Stanford Communications for the data from that positive survey. We never got it. Marion Santo is a Stanford undergraduate student and student senator who conducted the ASSU survey. When the academic year started, I heard a lot of peers talk about the long waiting lines at CAPS or just generally how they found CAPS to be this like complicated system that they didn't know how to access well. Santo sent us the raw data and a summarized write-up from her survey, which 204 people took, compared to the 118 who took the survey Brubaker Cole points to. Santo also spoke with me about the parameters of the ASSU survey. I partnered up with CAPS on this survey. So I reached out to the CAPS director, Dr. Bina Patel, and we were able to have like several conversations. So I had some conversations with her as well as with um, some of CAPS leadership that she brought into some of the meetings. So the questions that were released on that survey were not just questions that I came up with. There were questions that they had a chance to review and give feedback on. Santo points out that the Healthy Mind study tends to overrepresent white students. That's also a criticism that she says has been made by the person who runs the survey at Stanford, John Austin. I was not able to confirm that with the CAPS team because Stanford Communications would not allow me to talk to them. Minority students or students of marginalized background don't tend to have much coverage. I think by virtue of the fact that um, it was passed out through ASSU mailing lists as well as some of like the minority mailing lists on campus, I think that we tend to see that minority students tend to be uh, more represented here. This left me with a lot of questions. Why did Vice Provost Brubaker Cole question the rigor, design, and representation of ASSU surveys if CAPS partnered with the ASSU on this one? How could it be possible that the Healthy Mind study which was earlier called arguably the most comprehensive and highest quality survey, tends to not have much coverage for marginalized backgrounds. Why has a top university with an endowment of $37.8 billion struggled to hire therapists for six months? 
Danielle Echeverria and I tried for months to speak with a representative directly from CAPS to get answers. We wanted them to address how some of the information provided by Brubaker Cole did not align with the Chronicle's findings. Stanford Communications never allowed us to talk with someone from CAPS. Stanford also refused to answer our questions about how many mental health counselors are on staff, so we couldn't determine whether that staffing is in line with the recommendations of the International Accreditation of Counseling Services, which accredits many college counseling centers. As the start of the new school year approached, I spoke with Aiden, the student who returned to rural Pennsylvania after he wasn't able to get the help he needed at Stanford last fall. I'm definitely scared. Like, I'm, I'm very, very scared. And now it's, like, hard because I feel like, oh, now I'm going back to Stanford and I'm going to be in this, like, isolated sphere and, like, away from my people. And, like, you know, like, I feel like I'm not going to be as understood. This is ultimately, like, choices that individuals are making, you know, because there's no lack of resources or lack of money. There's no excuse in my eyes. And I think for me, it's like I would love to see like them completely turn around on a lot of like the flaws that I see. But before they can do that in a meaningful way, they need to admit the flaws and their role in these issues. Melissa Newcomb is a freelance writer. Her story about Stanford University's mental health resources was reported with the Chronicle's Danielle Echeverria. You can read their story on sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. If you need help, the phone for the National Suicide and Crisis Hotline is 988. This episode was reported and written by Melissa and produced and edited by King Kaufman and me. Thank you for listening.